The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Juste dans la joie Une joie profonde Nos cœurs, elle inonde Cette joie, elle vient du ciel Non, nous ne sommes pas fous Welcome to Sing With Your Feet My name is Lily Fields And I'm going to be your fairy godmother For the next half hour or so This week, we are going to be evoking One of my favorite topics Mise en place I am going to relate mise en place to the subject of virtue and hopefully successfully argue that practical actions like mise en place and having a weekly habit of planning can help us grow in virtue. On this podcast, we talk about how important it is to love ourselves. Love ourselves, yes, but with a very specific goal. The golden rule says that we should love others as we love ourselves. And if we don't love ourselves, then how can we ever know how to love others, right? So learning how to love ourselves is like golden rule 101. The thing about loving anyone that we spend a lot of time with is that the more they are around, the less we notice them. Now, maybe it's just me. I hope it's just me. Because it's not a flattering thing to realize that I barely greet my husband of 24 years when he comes home from work. Or that my children are so accustomed to hearing me talk that they don't even hear the sound of my voice anymore. If this theory of mine is true, then here is a logical conclusion. If the only person I spend more time with than my husband and my children is me, then I'm probably not paying very much attention to me either. Back around Valentine's Day, in episode 49, I defined love as a choice, not a feeling. A choice to what, you may ask? It is a choice to focus our attention on something for the greater good. So here we are, coming full circle. If focusing our attention on something for the greater good is how we define love, and in Golden Rule 101, we are to learn to love ourselves, then we need to learn how to focus our attention on ourselves for the greater good. It's the greater good piece on there that makes our definition different. We aren't loving ourselves to enrich ourselves or to make ourselves feel better. We are loving ourselves Because doing so is going to make everyone's lives better. Once we get a handle on loving ourselves, we can love others. And that really will make the world a better place. Today, I want to take a look at one of the virtues on our ever-increasing list and argue for how that one virtue can make our lives and our families and our workplaces way, way way better and then get into how we can grow in that virtue so the virtue we're going to talk about today is the virtue of foresight now foresight it wasn't on our initial list 20 years ago nor did it make the cut eight years ago it's a relative newcomer to the scene actually now listen i know i know that talking about virtue sounds like it's going to be really really boring your eyes are probably going to glass over a little bit but that's okay i just want you to listen 
As I go about my everyday life interacting with people, inevitably, at some point, I will end up talking about virtue. It's a compulsion. And because most of the people I interact with are polite, they don't immediately let their eyes roll back into the back of their heads. Sometimes they will even ask, how exactly do you define virtue? So I've been trying to come up with something snappy, and I've found a definition that seems to prolong the conversation for a few minutes. Here is that definition. A virtue is a character trait that makes someone pleasant to be around. It's a basic enough definition to keep a conversation afloat, and it certainly is broad enough that it's really hard to argue with. Without getting into whether it's a philosophical or biblical or psychological origin, or about Aristotle and the pursuit of virtue being the path to happiness, defining virtue as something that makes someone pleasant to be around makes us think about the people we find pleasant to be around and then question what that quintessence is that makes them special. Well, it's not quintessence, it's virtue. I'm not over here talking about how to win friends and influence people. My definition of virtue isn't that we do either of those things. It's simply a full quiver of character traits that make someone pleasant to be around. But just to get back to Aristotle for a second, pursuing virtue, meaning trying to improve ourselves in a way that will make us more pleasant to be around, this can actually be a powerful way to be happier in our lives. See, this is where my obsessive thinking about this topic comes into play. I want to figure out how to pursue virtue because I want to be someone that people like to be around. Yes, but also because I really like the idea that just trying to be more virtuous will make me happier. Virtue impacts how an individual interacts with the world in three broad categories. Others, things, and self. Some virtues touch multiple of these orientations, like like self-esteem is a virtue that is oriented towards self, but hospitality is a virtue oriented towards others. Orderliness is a virtue that is oriented towards things. And speaking of orderliness, this week, a person was looking over my list of virtues, and she said that she didn't think that orderliness was much of a virtue. This coming from a person who, from everything that I have ever seen of her, is incredibly organized and tidy. I had to laugh. What I think she means is that the virtue of orderliness is not a virtue that she has to think about at all. Each virtue has people for whom the thing comes naturally. And in this case, this woman finds that orderliness just comes naturally to her. It doesn't mean that orderliness isn't a virtue. It just means that it's a virtue that she doesn't have to work on. And in the immortal words of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, cleanliness is next to godliness. Messy people like me have to devise strategies to keep our messiness in order, but it can be done, not once and for all, as certain decluttering gurus might make you think, but it is a virtue that can be pursued. And believe it or not, the pursuit of orderliness can bring a lot of joy, but after the fact, like once things are tidy, but I digress. Today's virtue, that is the virtue of foresight, is one that I think touches all three orientations, others, self, and things. 
When I'm working my way through a pleasant character trait, trying to determine whether or not it belongs in my growing pantheon of virtues, I like to try and determine what the opposite of that character trait is. In the case of foresight, I came up with two. One was short-sightedness and the other was spontaneity. Short-sightedness is what happens when we pack for a trip thinking that we will get to do laundry in the middle of our trip and we pack accordingly. Foresight would have said, maybe I should just throw in a few extra pairs of underwear. But in this example, foresight is oriented towards the self, like I could make my own life better by planning ahead. The virtue of foresight can be demonstrated in the saint who brought the mints and passes them around at the meeting after a coffee break. In that way, foresight is oriented towards other people. I can improve others' lives by planning ahead. Now, I said that short-sightedness was one opposite of foresight. Another opposite was spontaneity. Now, here's a little window into the seemingly endless theory of practical virtue and why the number of virtues in my dictionary of virtue continues to grow day by day. Because when I look at the word spontaneity, I don't see it as something bad. Short-sightedness is always bad, but spontaneity, it's not bad. In the right context, spontaneity can be delightful. I thought about this for longer than I should have, debating about the circumstances in which spontaneity is a bad thing, and realized that I may have discovered a new virtue for my dictionary. And we were off to the races, adding another potential virtue to the list of character traits that I've been examining. So where short-sightedness is the opposite of the virtue of foresight, spontaneity is potentially an opposite virtue. The opposite of the virtue is bad. The opposite virtue is something good, balancing between a virtue and its opposite virtue on the tightrope of wisdom. The tension between foresight and spontaneity can be fertile ground to mine joy in our lives specifically in our relationships. The fact that my children are only ever allowed to have ice cream on Saturday evenings can explain why on Wednesday after school, when in attempt to bring some spontaneity into our relationship, I took them to the ice cream parlor as a surprise. They lost their collective minds with excitement. Yes, spontaneity is definitely a virtue. So when a character trait first catches my attention as a potential virtue, the first thing I like to do is define its opposite. And sometimes this will lead to more discoveries, case in point, foresight and spontaneity. But let's get back to foresight. After thinking about the opposite, I like to look at the orientation by asking, who benefits from this virtue? Like we said earlier, we ourselves often benefit from foresight, planning ahead, preparation, whatever you want to call it. Other people also benefit from foresight, like the mints example, or or that person who has jumper cables in their car and knows how to use them. Things can also benefit from foresight, like literally this morning when as I was driving my boys to school and the skies opened up and it started raining three corgis, a poodle, and a whole litter of Russian blues, I decided that my laundry could have benefited from the foresight of me bringing it inside. It will now benefit from me putting it back in the washing machine and running it through for another cycle. Another facet of a, of a virtue that I like to define when I first look at it is the flip side. The flip side is what would happen to that virtue if it went to the extreme, or if we removed the mitigating factor of wisdom from that virtue. In the case of foresight, I came up with doomsday prepping as the flip side of foresight. Being prepared is a virtue. Building a bunker is perhaps a bit much. Wisdom is what draws the line between virtue and its flip side. 
All of this, and I still haven't even looked up foresight in the dictionary or tried to see what people far more intelligent than I have said on the subject. This first part is like a knee-jerk reaction to what I think might possibly be a virtue. In many ways, by looking at the opposite, the orientation and the beneficiaries and the flip side, I'm defining it just through a very specific framework which will allow me to compare it to virtues, other virtues, later on. But let's move on to defining foresight before we get down to some nuts and bolts, ways of pursuing foresight to make it real in our lives. The Cambridge Dictionary of Foresight is the ability to judge correctly what is going to happen in the future and plan your actions based on this knowledge. Another dictionary definition of foresight is concern or preparation for the future. A few synonyms include prescience, prudence, precaution, discernment, insight, wisdom, and perceptiveness. Now, because I decided to take this adventure in real time with you, I just started Googling foresight, and I have come across some deeply intriguing and equally eye-rollingly wordy technical articles about foresight. Because apparently, foresight is a virtue highly prized in our world today when it comes to being able to predict trends. This makes sense to me, but Wow, there are some really smart people who have been out there theorizing on foresight long before me and my little dictionary of practical virtue ever came along. I'm laughing because I wanted to talk about mise en place, like putting out our clothes for the next day, the night before, and how it can help us grow in the virtue of foresight. And I'm over here up to my knees reading a legal argument about whether or not if a criminal had foresight to know that what he was about to do would violate the law, does this make him responsible? But come to think of it, I do think that foresight and responsibility go hand in hand, and it's just and it's not just in a criminally responsible way. Remember how we said that happiness is a question of personal responsibility, and how on our virtue wheel at the center of all three orientations, pop quiz, do you remember the three orientations? That's right, others, yeah, self, good, and things, yay, you did it. At the center of each of those three sections on our virtue wheel is the virtue of responsibility and the virtues shade from whether or not we have responsibility or not. Like when it comes to others, the virtue of authority is when we have the responsibility for others and the virtue of obedience is for when we don't. So when it comes to foresight, I would say that it is a virtue that belongs squarely on the we are responsible side. Foresight is a virtue that will make us a better economic forecaster, a better meteorologist, a better parent, a better boss, a better person in charge of the PTA bake sale. Foresight requires a basic foundation of knowledge, which, lest we forget, is also a virtue. Because as Cambridge Dictionary told us, it is the ability to correctly judge what is going to happen in the future. Since, although I am a fairy godmother and have access to all kinds of fairy dust, one thing that I cannot do is predict the future in any meaningful way about things that I don't have knowledge about. Knowledge and foresight go hand in hand. For example, were I to bring a cookie home from the bakery for one of my children, I can tell you from my extensive knowledge of my children's behaviors that the one for whom I did not bring a cookie home will shout at me, but that's not fair. Foresight would tell me to either bring home two cookies, or better yet, don't stop at the bakery at all which, from the point of view of the virtues of frugality and self-control, would be a far better solution. So, with that established, we can only practice the virtue of foresight in the areas of our life in which we have previous knowledge. 
There is no point for me to try to predict who will win the World Series. I don't even know what the name of the team is anymore in the city where I grew up. I have no knowledge. Therefore, I cannot make it a prediction about the future. So one of the synonyms I have come across as I glance through the literature about foresight is that of strategic thinking. This idea of strategic thinking mumbo-jumbo is definitely something we hear about at work. But is it something that we practice at home? The last two weeks of the month of April were spring break here in France. Now, what I am about to tell you is going to blow your mind, so please hold on to your hat. May 1st, May 8th, May 18th, and May 29th are holidays in France. Because May 18th was a Thursday, many places did what's called faire le pont, which is doing the bridge, meaning that they were closed on the Friday also to allow for a four-day weekend. So if you're counting with me, that makes five days off in the month of May, just coming off the heels of two weeks of a spring break. That is three Mondays, one Thursday, and a Friday. Our first day back to school was May 2nd. Now, if ever there was a day for which I was not psychologically prepared, it was Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. I mean, we left for vacation, it was mid-April, and suddenly here we were in the month of May. The weather hasn't helped since it has been rainy and chilly. It could still be March and I would be none the wiser, but I digress. We received an email at the tail end of the vacation reminding us that all the schools in our city were holding a challenge in the month of May to see which school could have the greatest number of kids coming by bike, scooter, skateboard, foot, whatever, but not by car. My children, naturally, intended to take this challenge very, very seriously. I sort of meant to take it seriously too, but let's be honest, I was not on my game. The virtue of foresight was not uh, first and foremost on my mind. So thus arrived the morning of Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023. We need to leave earlier than usual when we go by bike. That part I had made sure I told the boys. But I did not consider that riding our bikes meant making sure that the seat on the grown-up's bike was lowered from the last time a much taller than I adult had ridden this bicycle. Nor did I consider where my boys' helmets might be. So here we are, like two minutes from needing to leave, and I'm freaking out, looking for the bike tool so that I can lower the seat, and then I overhear that one of my children thinks he has left his helmet in the car. So I take the elevator to the parking garage, and I find no helmet in the car. And I'm panicking because we are running late. And as I spring back to the elevator, I decide since I was alone to just spew all of the self-loathing thoughts I was having. And I had a lot of them. My boys didn't need to hear all these terrible things I had to say to myself about not being ready for this day. About how I could have planned ahead. I could have prepared for the future. I could have taken a few minutes the night before to look for the helmets or ask the boys to look for their helmets. I could have, without this untenable adrenaline surge I was experiencing, lowered the bike seat or asked my husband to do it for me. The first thing I hissed at myself in the elevator was, you stupid idiot, how could you let it get this far? I don't hate riding bikes to school. What I hate is the stress and the last minute freakouts. I berated myself for my lack of foresight. As the elevator door opened, I took a deep breath and I told myself, time's up, no more complaining. The elder of my two boys was crying when I got back, afraid that we were going to be late for school. The younger one, the one of the missing helmet fame, 
is never better behaved than when he's the reason we're going to be late for school, so he was hovering in a corner, fearing his brother's wrath. Having gotten hold of myself, I started looking through our shoe bins, our backpack bins, and then some stroke of genius told me to look in the costume bin, and there was that helmet, hiding with the suspenders, the ski masks, and the utility belts. We got to school exactly in time, and I got a very, very valuable reminder. I can make my life miserable by being short-sighted, and I can make it a lot easier by practicing a little bit of foresight. Mise en place. Mise en place is a glorious little French phrase, which means to put in place. It is not, as much as it sounds, a widespread common concept in France. Instead, it's an idea which comes to us from the restaurant industry. It means to get out everything that we need for a recipe, like the ingredients down to the spices, measuring cups, the dishes, the serving utensils. It means that everything is at hand. No digging through cupboards with our hands covered in flour. This idea, for me, who is an ecstatically creative person, it kind of intrigued me. I mean, How can a person know exactly what all she might need while she's making something out of nothing, right? But as the idea sank in, I came to understand that there are certain activities for which I do know what it will take to make them successful. And that sometimes I don't even like to get them started because over them hangs a fog of frustration. For example, when I want to sew, because I don't have a designated place to be creative in my apartment, I have to get out my sewing machine and the pedal, and to carry it out to the dining room table. This means, of course, that I have to clear the table at some point, which I often don't do, so I'm fighting with Legos and coffee cups for space. This is never enough, though. I mean, you can't sew with only a sewing machine. There are notions needed, which, if you're lucky, you might have a nice, easy-to-transport sewing box, but I do not. My notions are in various different boxes because I use them for all kinds of different crafts, and when there is an actual item needing to be sewn, I just dig through all of them. Oh, and scissors. I always forget the scissors. I could probably make it more likely for me to sew if I could figure out what keeps me from wanting to sew, what it is that makes that friction. But (sighs) gathering together all those items in only one place, instead of making 20 return trips to where I store all my sewing stuff, well, that's a lot of work. But back when I was discovering this concept of mise en place, I came to the realization that a checklist could be a lifesaver when it came to doing things like taking my boys to the, to the pool in the summer. So I drew out a little checklist that the boys, who at the time couldn't read, I drew out a checking list that they could follow along. Swimsuits, sunscreen, towels, goggles, flip-flops, so that they could help me do the mise en place for our trips to the pool. Yes, it took some time to get the checklist made, but this tiny bit of foresight saved us time and stress going forward. And I will tell you, it made me a heck of a lot more likely to want to take my boys to the pool. It reduced the friction. In French, the word for a checklist is 
pense bête. I abhor this term. It means think stupid. This term was introduced into the French language in 1900 by someone who apparently thought that he was so smart that he would never forget to do anything. I also suspect that his wife was a woman endowed with great foresight, so he never had to remember anything. But here is the truth about checklists. They are used by brain surgeons and pilots, and therefore, I would argue that there is nothing stupid about them. Checklists are a way to be thorough and are literal proof of foresight. They are proof that we have thought and prepared for what is coming, and we are now working through the next logical steps. I may have said this a dozen of times before, but the act of doing mise en place with what I was going to be wearing the next day is what helped me start digging my way out of a postpartum depression. It was what helped me give a furtive glance to what I would be doing the next day, what the weather might be like, and to start seeing beyond the urgent, stressful moments of living with a newborn and a toddler. When we are drowning in stress, in a sea of things that need to get done right now, we have no perspective. We cannot gain any perspective if we keep barreling through. The virtue of foresight is what will help us gain a little bit of perspective. Seeking out the weather and what is on the calendar gave me the knowledge necessary to make a decision about what I wanted to wear. Add to that, the little bit of time that it takes to look up the weather gave me a moment to ask myself how I wanted to feel the next day and who I wanted to be. Pursuing the virtue of foresight in small ways in our lives is actually an act of self-love. In studies on behavioral science, they talk about fuel and friction. Fuel is how we make an action something that we want to do, and friction is what keeps us from wanting to do an action. Oftentimes, making, making an action more attractive does not increase our likelihood of doing that action. If there's too much friction, too many little complications that make doing it too hard, no matter how attractive the activity is, we won't do it. When we want to love ourselves better in that ever-present goal of pursuing the golden rule, of course we need to figure out how to reduce the friction. Because yes, it is an attractive idea to love ourselves and consequently love others better. But we are often the architects of our own misery because we don't do the things that will reduce the friction. Like in that anecdote about my elevator ride of self-loathing, in my frustration with myself for not having planned ahead, for not having the bike tools on hand, for not knowing where the helmets were, I said a few things to myself that, whether or not they were objectively true, they were objectively harmful to my ability to love myself. Self-loathing is friction. Preventable stress is friction. Foresight reduces friction. Foresight reduces preventable stress. Foresight will not ensure that everything will go perfectly. Foresight will reduce friction. Wherever there is friction in our ability to do the things that we want to get done, and let me put a caveat on this, the things that we want to get done that are our responsibility to get done, I'm adding this caveat because sometimes we get ourselves worked up over the inefficiency of situations over which we have no control. For example, I am not responsible for my neighbor who doesn't understand the rules of garbage day, no matter how many times I have politely tried to ask her to not leave her garbage bags next to her door in the hallway. All right, where was I? So, yes, when there is friction in doing things that we want to get done, we very often see it as someone else's shortcoming. But honestly, 
please don't tell him this, but when I was grousing around looking for the bike tools, I cursed my husband for not lowering the bike seat the last time he used the bike. But I know that it's not his fault. He didn't know that I was going to be the next person to take the bike. It's very easy to view the friction we find in getting things done that we want to do as someone else's problem. A little touch of lucidity, and we would see that this is mostly not the case. Yes, someone else might have a hand in it, but most of the time, it's us. A willingness to look at what we need to do that we are responsible for, but that we're struggling to get done, that's our first step. Our four questions that we ask with our ideal life exercise can help us through this. What's working? What isn't working? What do I need to think about? What do I need to do? These questions can help us examine the problem. And maybe the thing that I need to do is to make a checklist. Or maybe I need to do mise en place by getting the helmets out. When we are facing situations that stress us out and that we are responsible for seeing through, then we owe it to ourselves, to our ability to love ourselves, to try exercising the virtue of foresight through a little bit of mise en place or through a checklist. So here's the part of the show where I catch you up on my efforts to live out my New Year's resolution, which was to live out the golden rule in 2023. As I mentioned earlier, here in France, we had a four-day weekend last week. During the school year, when we're in a rhythm, it's pretty easy to go a large span of time without my boys getting near a store, where they will be tempted by something that they see there. I appreciate this, and as I said last week, my husband is really good at rotating their toys in and out, so they don't ask for much. My boys actually never ask me for anything because they know I will say no. If they want something new, they will hit their father up for it because he's less rigid than I am on that no means no spectrum. But the fact that they haven't asked me for anything in a while, well, it kind of broke my heart. The fact that I noticed that they hadn't asked me for anything in a while, I got to wondering what that meant. I've heard myself tell those boys, especially when they are really getting annoying about wanting to play on the tablets, that the more they ask, the less likely they're going to get what they are asking for. The truth is that often, once they stop asking, we all kind of forget that they ever wanted it in the first place. And here, I was actually noticing that they hadn't asked. So knowing that we had a four-day weekend coming up and asking myself what I would want done for me, I decided that I would buy them each a little gift and have it waiting for them when we got home from school. Just a little I love you and I know you aren't asking for anything but here's something anyway gift. So they bought them each a book. Oi Ductbull Platypus was for the little one and a graphic novel called The Last Kids on Earth was for the eldest who is currently devouring every single graphic novel he can get his hands on. And honestly the legit joy of this unexpected It knocked my socks off. It pays to be the parent who always says no, just to reap the rewards of actually saying yes. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I want to give a great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulhouse, France, for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and outro to the show, to Matt Kugler, who sang it, and to Claude Equay, who wrote it. This is your fairy godmother signing off. Just remember, it's never too late to start singing with your feet.